If you've met my wife, Sharilyn, you know that she's a bit of a green thumb and whether we've lived in tiny apartments with no garden or places with big backyards, she's always had a knack of getting green things to grow. Not so long ago, we were looking out the window of our house, hopefully not being too nosy, peering over the fence and watching as our neighbors prepared what was gonna be a veggie patch, I guess. And it got to the day where they were putting the seeds in and Sharon said, that's not gonna work. I asked her, why? Why isn't it gonna work? She said, they haven't really looked at the lay of that land there, the tilt of the ground. They haven't broken the soil up. It's only gonna take a little bit of rain or even uh, the end of the garden hose pouring down on top of that soil um, for the water just to splash straight off and maybe even take some of the seeds and seedlings with it. Sure enough, not too long after that, it rained and here in Queensland, when it rains, it, it rains, right? And true to Sharon's prediction, the rain fell on the soil of that patch and many of the seedlings were washed away and the water just seemed to spill off the compacted soil. And I think that's how it is with us as people oftentimes. Have you ever noticed that sometimes we're not in a position, we're not prepared somehow, we're not ready for some of the good things that might come our way. You get to a certain age where I think it gets difficult to buy presents for you. I think when you've got your own job and income and you can buy the things that you like, it can be hard for people around you to know what to get you. Maybe you've already bought the things that you really want. Maybe your tastes are so particular that people are scared that they're gonna get you something that you're not gonna like. I knew that I'd reached that age when my parents started giving me practical gifts for my birthday. And I remember uh, the first event like that where they give, gave me a ladder. Um, and I was a little underwhelmed at the time. Uh, I don't know about you, but I don't dream about getting new ladders or new toolboxes or that kind of thing. Um, I didn't appreciate the ladder uh, in that moment. I guess I always thought that I'd just borrow my dad. So it went under the house until one night when uh, a light bulb blew. So down under the house I went, pulled the ladder up, got up on top of it to change the light bulb. And suddenly <laughs> it all made sense. This is a good ladder. This was a good present. I'm glad that I've got this ladder. I appreciated the goodness of it a little bit further down the line. One of the things about being in a committed relationship with people we love, whether that's a marriage or a great friendship, is that you learn, right? You learn that uh, people receive and give love in different ways. People talk about love languages. Some people are, uh, you know, moved by receiving gifts. Others like quality time and so on. 
it's my and Sharon's anniversary next week and I imagine a scenario where I give her something that would make me feel good. Sharon, happy 14 years. Here's a fishing rod. I can imagine her looking back at me, gee, thanks. Fortunately, um, I got you a year's subscription to Country Style magazine. Why don't we just swap? You get the picture though, right? Like I could give something that's meaningful to me to Sharon. I guess as an act of love, but if it's not something that she wants or needs, she might not really feel that loved in the moment. I don't know if you've had an experience like that where you've given someone a gift that you have really valued, that's meant a lot to you, and then down the line you see them using it um, in a way that is kind of unfitting. That's a Danish-designed American oak table and they're using it as the colouring in uh, desk in their kids room it can go the other way too we can be given gifts that we don't really appreciate in the moment that mean something more to the gift giver than they do to us we've been talking about uh, this picture in scripture this year uh, this picture of a river the river of God that comes up throughout and so we've been talking a lot about water over the course of the year. Thinking back this week, it, I was reminded of the fact that Joy, who sometimes preaches for us, Pastor Joy Great, um, I think it was even before this year, had, I guess, a word for the community of Cornerstone. A, another picture from the Bible that she thought was like timely, I guess. And it was a picture of um, former rains. Now in Bible lands, in Bible times, they talked about these two rains. One was the kind of soaking rain, what they call the latter rain, that would actually make the plants grow, as it were, that would feed the root system and so forth. The former rain that Joy was talking to us about was uh, a softer rain that fell earlier in the year that kind of prepared the soil, sort of softened it and broke it up. She mentioned that it's sometimes called a teaching rain because it was like the, ra- the, the rain, uh, that, the former rain that fell, fell on soil that hadn't been rained on for a while. And so it was like teaching the soil what it meant to be rained on again, preparing it for the real rain that would bring the crop. And um, I liked that image. It kind of stuck with me. Isn't it the case that um, I think if we're Christians, if we've come to love Jesus, that um, we can recognize sometimes when we look back that God sends a former rain on our life. Uh, maybe um, we had people who were praying for us for years to come to know Jesus. And for years and years, they spoke to us about Jesus and it just didn't make sense. And then something happens that's like prepares our heart for that one day when all of a sudden it clicks for us who Jesus is, his love for us. It makes sense. You don't have to hang around with our senior pastor Graham too long to hear him say something like this. God is working in the world. God's love is working in the world, mostly through people. Last week, uh, my father preached a message actually, and uh, he preached from Psalm 46 and picked up on this line that we've used a bit lately. There is a river whose streams make glad 
the city of God. We've remarked that it's kind of an unusual line because there's not a river in a geographical sense in the city of God that the scriptures refer to, Jerusalem, in this case. And so Dad suggested that um, there's a good chance that the psalmist was looking at worshippers coming and going from the city of Jerusalem, like a stream of worshippers, and that was the river. I like the way that that kind of resonates with Graham's idea, with this idea that I think has been creeping up on me as I think about Scripture's picture of the river of God, that actually it's people. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at this picture in the Bible of the end of time when God's justice is fully realized and um, this river of blessing and healing is flowing down from the throne of heaven where Jesus sits into the world. And I think increasingly I'm persuaded that it flows into the world through you. Uh, If you are unified with Jesus, if you're drawn to Jesus, if you follow Jesus, if the Holy Spirit is living in you and making you more like Jesus, then the love of God, which we see in Jesus, flows into the world through you. Healing can flow into the world through you. Blessing can throw, flow into the world through you. The presence of, the God, of God can be uh, in the world through you. Beautiful picture, but kind of challenging as well because that's a tall order, right? Like me to be Jesus in the world, God's love made present in the world, God made present in the world through me. Well, a lot of the time, <laughs> it's probably not. Um, sadly, I, I, I feel like I generally fall a long way short of that. So I've been wrestling with this question, well, does God's love flow into the world through me? Is God present in the world? through me. One of Jesus' disciples, Paul, writes in a letter that you can find in the Bible to the church in Philippi, uh, this great passage. In your relationships to others, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. God, when he loves us, when he's present with us, he becomes like us so that we know that he understands what it's like to be us, what it's like to be human. And at the same time, we can look at him and God And God's love is understandable because he's become like us. And that's challenging, as beautiful as it is, because can I love someone in that way? As Paul says, in relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who became like one of us, 
do I love people in the way that Jesus loved me? I think it's very possible, actually, that um, it's like God pours his love into me oftentimes like water, like the water of life that the Bible talks about. It's possible that he pours it into me and it stops with me a lot of the time that I don't kind of pass that on. It doesn't go through me into the lives of other people. I don't come to understand where people are really at enough to meet their needs in the way that I love them. Maybe I'm so Christian a lot of the time that I'm sort of speaking a Christian love language that doesn't make sense to the people around me who are maybe agnostic or atheist or Buddhist or Hindu or Muslim. Jesus um, tells this story in the Bible. It's pretty famous. I'm sure you've heard it. One of his friends writes it down. Uh, And it says that there was this one occasion when an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? Says the man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But it says that the man wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, well, who's my neighbor then? In reply, Jesus said that a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw the man and passed by on the other side of the road. But a Samaritan, Jesus said, as he traveled, came where the man was. And he saw him, and he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, and poured oil and wine on them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, Jesus said, this man took two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expenses that you may have. Which of these three... Jesus asked the man, do you think was a neighbor to the one who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, well, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. If you know anything about that story, you might know that Jesus is kind of trying to challenge something about the religious nature of his audience. The priest and the Levite were kind of Jewish people, Jewish religious leaders. Samaritans, it was the Samaritan man who actually took time to help the other person, um, were kind of looked down upon. 
Jews considered that they were sort of followers of a false religion. Um, the priest and the Levite in this story had religious reasons not to help the man. Right, so uh, the priest, by coming into contact with a dead body or someone who, um, you know, might not be a Jew, could make himself ceremonially unclean for his duty. So he could, as a good Jew, justify not helping that man for religious reasons. And I wonder if it's not possible that sometimes we as Christians do the same thing. We can justify not loving people in a way that breaks through to them, in a way that means God's love flows through us into them in a way that they can accept and see on religious grounds. We love people in Christian ways, right? We don't want to um, waste our time on people who aren't ready to hear about God's love in the way that we're willing to share it. We don't actually really want to understand the lives of people who aren't like us. Maybe we look down our noses at them. The funny thing is, you know, if you became a Christian um, as an adult or a teenager and decided that the church thing made sense to you, I reckon I'd give you a matter of weeks (laughs) until you just almost naturally get to a place where you think about your old friends and the choices that they're making with lives with a kind of bewilderment. Why are they doing that? Why are they making those choices? Why are they living that way? Can't they see it's fruitless? Can't they see it's destructive? If there's like an ounce of condescension condescension, or an ounce of judgmentalism in the way that we deal with people, how could they accept love from us? What's terrible about it is the story of our lives, if we've come to follow Jesus, is the way that we used to live, the way that we lived without Jesus made sense to us most of the time. Funny that it's like a switch can flick and we can become so alienated from who we once were and from so many of our friends. I want to get really practical here as I end because I want to encourage you to some sort of action. And I'm going to give you an illustration to kind of land this point. It might constitute killing something of a sacred cow. I'll pray for you. I've been thinking about the way we as Christians say, I'll pray for you. Um, I've been thinking about the way we as Christians often say that to people who don't share our faith. For us, you know, we believe in the power of prayer if we believe in Jesus. We believe uh, that there's something really loving about praying for someone because we know in our human capacity, we so often fall short, but God, he can really change situations. So when we say, I'll pray for you, we're kind of saying, I'm doing the most powerful thing that I can do for you. But I put myself in the shoes of an atheist friend of mine. If I say, I'll pray for you, how does that sound? <laughs> what does it mean for someone to pray to a God that you don't believe exists? You better hope that if someone's 
praying for you, they're also offering to help you in a way that will make sense, right? Oh, you're feeling really sick and you're moving house this weekend, I'll pray for you. Well, that's great. Do you think you could give me a hand? Now, of course, we can say, I'll pray for you and God can use that. But I'm just trying to make a point here that we, I think, need to question if we're believers in Jesus, our own love language, as it were, and whether it really touches down, whether it's sensitive to the landscape of people's lives, whether the love that has been poured into us from God actually flows through, or perhaps is it like us just dumping a bunch of water without regard for how it comes to ground whether it actually does any good there, whether it makes sense there. It's funny how if we were training to be a missionary in West Africa, we would learn what we could about the culture. You know, we would try and understand the way people there thought and spoke, we'd learn the language. But oftentimes with our friends and neighbours here, it's like, well, they listen to the most terrible music. Uh, you should hear the stuff they're into. It's just such a waste of time. I think if we were missionaries to you know, our own culture, to our friends and our neighbours, we would take seriously that challenge of really understanding their life what motivates them. I taught a subject this semester on um, the theology of culture and uh, one of the resources we looked at, this guy was saying, a guy called Browning, um, if we want to understand culture, we need first to appreciate it in its own terms, right? So if we're looking at a style of music that maybe we're unfamiliar with, if we've never engaged with that style of music, I don't know if you've heard a new style of music before and it's kind of jarring and hard to make sense of, it's easy to just dismiss it out of hand because it doesn't make sense to us. But if you want to see why people like it, you want to see why there's a culture around it, you want to see why people dedicate their lives to listening to it and playing it, you need to find out why people who are into that like it. We need to understand it on its own terms. And I think... The lives of the people we love are like that. If we are truly to love them, we need to occupy their space. We might not agree with everything others do, but how can we truly love people if we don't try and understand what it means to be who they are? One of the gifts to me of being um, a teacher and then a youth pastor for a while if you know me, I'm not like, I think I came out of the womb an old man. Uh, I'm not interested, never really have been uh, in playing shoot 'em up video games or movies with superheroes in them or, you know, a lot of stuff I guess that teenagers are into. Jesus, I've made a few stereotypes there. But um, I realised as a teacher that if I was going to um, have any effect, I needed to understand what made my students tick. And you know what I can tell you? Against my expectation, there has never been an instance 
where I have engaged with, um, say, youth culture. I sound like an old person when I say that. And it hasn't made more sense to me once I've given it time. And I haven't been able to see the value. I mean, it might be a style of music, say, that I just would never dream about uh, giving any attention to. But then when I've actually tried to understand it on its own terms, even the most abrasive <laughs> uh, music, I've often been able to find, hey, there's like some cool stuff happening here. I can see why people get into this. My challenge then to you this week, if you're a follower of Jesus, I know there's someone in your life who you feel would just benefit so greatly from coming to know the love of Jesus. I know there's someone that you you just want to see the blessings that you've experienced from your relationship with Jesus poured into their life. My challenge to you this week is there's something about them that maybe as a Christian you don't understand or you don't value, something that motivates them that maybe you even think is a bit of a waste of time or has always seemed a bit foreign or alien to you. Get down (laughs) into the soil of their life. Very often times people don't experience love from those of us who profess to want to share Christ's love because we're not willing to get a little bit of dirt under our fingernails not actually willing to spend time in the garden of their life with them. We're expecting them to come to us. If the blessing stops with us, if the water of life, the presence of God poured into us, stops with us and doesn't flow through us, are we really part of the river of God? Are we really even experiencing the fullness of life that God would have for us? I think that the blessing of God, that the water of life, that the river of God is most abundant to us when it flows out through into other people. That might not look like how we expect it to look though. It might take getting on our knees somewhere that we might not think is particularly uh, Christian to get, to get into. It might take getting a little bit of dirt under our fingernail. It might take spending some time in the lives and headspaces of the people that we love, we want to love more, and who we know that God loves. Hey, I want to finish with a suggestion that Sherilyn made to me as we were talking about whether or not we should tell people that we'll pray for them. She said a friend of hers uses this line instead. Can I remember you? Can I remember this situation when I pray? I wonder if we ask that question, we might not even get more invitations to pray for people. Can I remember you in prayer right now? Can I pray for you? God, 
I thank you so much that so many of us have come to know a fuller life through Jesus Christ. I thank you for the ways that we've experienced love. I thank you for your grace in sending soft, gentle rain that prepares the soil of our hearts and minds to receive the downpour that you want to send our way and do send our way. Lord, I pray that love would flow through us, that we would be better at loving people in the gracious way that you love us, the way that you came into our life, the way that you're willing to get down on your knees, willing to get the dirt of our lives under your fingernails. Pray for life abundant for all who are with us this morning. Amen.